Tonight, whispers become roars. Democrats now openly worry about Joe Biden's age. He has no main character energy at all. Is it too late to switch horses? The King's speech. You had a chance of being cold or being around a bunch of homeless crooks in San Francisco. When you- oh, oh, that's crazy. Charles Barkley goes savage on San Francisco. Bill O'Reilly joins us on the growing number of African-American men fed up with soaring crime. Hold on, Fawny. It, 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 it is a lie. It is a lie. The Georgia prosecutor awaits her fate. Can she ever get over the parody? Are you kidding me? Seriously. Trump might get off because these two were getting off. And microdosing moms. The new mother's little helper that's quite a trip. So what's it like? Microdosing is actually brings me into more presence. Mushrooms, they're not just for dinner anymore. All right, welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, whispers that we've been hearing for a long time are now kind of turning to roars. Conversations about President Biden's age and ability are happening openly among Democrats. Big names in politics, big name Democrats, and we can all agree that's probably not what the White House wants right now. Just this weekend, radio host Charlemagne the God, an influential voice for African-American voters, said the president's ability to captivate voters or lack thereof, in his words, striking. Main character energy at all. None. And what is that? Is that age? Is it the way he is? I mean, why, why do you, what, what's the problem? I don't think it has anything to do with, 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 with age. You know, I think it has just everything to do with, with him. Nate Silver, founder of the polling site 538. Someone who can't sit through a Super Bowl interview isn't someone the public can trust to have the physical and mental stamina to handle an international crisis, terrorist attack, or some other unforeseen threat when he'll be in his mid-80s. CBS News veteran Bernie Goldberg, not exactly a raging conservative, also raised doubts. Quote, when 86% of the American people believe Biden is too old to serve another term, Even Trump may look good by comparison. That's something Joe Biden may want to consider. The legacy he cares about so much is on the line. Those sentiments are clearly reflected in new polling from Monmouth University. Nearly half of voters believe President Biden will be replaced as the Democratic nominee. That's the pulse of America, now 260 days from the election. We have been saying for a while here, the problem for Mr. Biden isn't his age, but that he nor his advisors have a plan to fix the age problem. Well, our friends at Axios, Mike Alec, Alec, Mike Allen and Alex Thompson, among others, report that there is now a plan. Biden's reset moment. The president's State of the Union address played well last year. He seemed agile. Officials close to him needing a repeat triumph will spend hours on everything from the text to his physical preparation to exploit the prime time moment. Democratic strategist and newly minted News Nation contributor Kurt Bardella, there's Kurt, is here. His first News Nation contributor appearance. Welcome to the program, my friend. Thank you. We begin with Alex Thompson uh, of Axios for a deeper dive on his reporting. We looked back because you noted what happened last year and how people liked his State of the Union. And I thought even two years ago, uh, the start of the Ukraine war, a strong performance. Um, his poll numbers were exactly the same on February 5th, two days before the address, and March 5th, one month after. 52 disapproved, 41% approved. What exactly are they hoping that a strong performance does that last year's strong performance did not? 
I don't think they're looking for it to change maybe the overall approval rating number. What they're trying to do is set is to look at what you've just been talking about, which is the age issue. The best way you can confront the age issue is showing that you have an energetic public performance. Now, President Biden could have done that with a Super Bowl interview just this last week that he turned down. This will allow him to have another high-profile moment in the public that he can control. Look, you and Mike Allen are two of the best reporters in town, so I take nothing away from you. But he's got to do the State of the Union. Okay, he doesn't have to do the Super Bowl. How much of this is just the White House trying to spin something that they have to do, not something that they could or could not have done in the Super Bowl? I think the better way that... I think the better skepticism is that, yeah, you can have a good State of the Union performance, but it's not necessarily enough. You need a good State of the Union performance, and you need a good Super Bowl interview, and you need more interviews. It can't just be a one-off. So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make the best of a bad situation. The thing is, is there a plan to fix the age issue? There hasn't been a huge dynamic plan, but they're aware of it. They just haven't been successful, in part because it's the one thing you cannot change. Yeah, you can't change it. And Kurt, and look. To Alex's point, you're typically you have the State of the Union and then you have the roadshow. You go out to highlight all of your accomplishments that have happened and all of the things you want to do. You're showing up at union halls and then you're showing up at rivers that you built bridges over and on and on. What do you make of the sudden realization now or the sudden willingness by a lot of Democrats to now speak about this publicly? Well, they're waking up to something that we have been talking about, specifically on this show for months now. Um, the problem with the State of the Union strategy is, and listen, I expect President Biden to deliver a fine State of the Union address. This is a setting that he's familiar in, that he's comfortable with. He, he has done this before. He knows He was the in the Senate for 40 years. Like, so. the, like, he will perform well there. The problem is, much like in sports, you're only as good as your last performance. The next time that he's out on the campaign trail and stumbles or misspeaks or says something that may not be entirely accurate or just has a senior moment, it all starts all over again. Like, this is the most predictable cycle that we're living in, and it's never going away because the one thing that we know for sure is Joe Biden's not going to get any younger between now and Election Day. All right. Look, there's the discussion of the actuarial event, right, in the Washington Post at a long piece, both for Biden and Trump. What happens if between now and the convention, for some reason, they can't? They cannot accept. And what happens between the convention and the election if they uh, cannot run for election? What happens after the election if they cannot serve, to borrow uh, a statement from Lyndon Johnson, which seems apt in this case? But there's some comparisons, Alex, that are starting to be made between Joe Biden, even in 2019 and in 2024. We put together two clips from basically his campaign launch. Take a look. We choose hope over fear, truth over lies. And yes, unity over division. I've never been more optimistic about our future, and I've been doing this a hell of a long time. Just to remember who we are. How much does the White House worry about these comparison clips that are starting to play more? Oh, I mean, they're absolutely worried. They know that his age is the biggest threat to this campaign and also the biggest chance that Donald Trump is going to return to the Oval Office. They are well aware of the risk. And, you know, you can see it just there. The guy is not even close to the public performer he was four years ago. And that in that campaign, you remember, people were also making his age an issue. Cory Booker back then was saying, sometimes you just wonder when you hear him talk. The thing is that, that there are 
there are two things going on. There are limits of what they can do, and there's also limits of what they can convince him to do. I've been told that behind the closed doors, Joe Biden does not think that what we just said is true. Joe Biden behind closed doors will often say to aides, I feel so much younger than my age. And, then, and sometimes, sometimes it, I'm telling you, that's what he says, like almost verbatim. He says it often, frequently. They, they probably, you know, it's one thing to feel like you're getting older. Delusion probably is not something that we want the president of the United States to feel, for, for any of us to feel. Um, obviously, this brings up for Democrats, Kurt, the question of who's next. Kamala Harris was talking about that on CNN. Take a listen. She is meeting with people who say that they feel like they are not being heard by the White House and the Biden campaign. One person who attended one of the meetings said to me, the, the bedwetting complaints are running thin with people. I actually don't even understand what that means. Yeah. Okay, let's be really clear about something. I'm going to say something as a Democrat strategist that I'm probably not supposed to say. If anyone thought that Kamala Harris could defeat Donald Trump, Joe Biden would not be running again. Kamala Harris would be. That's number one. Number two, Democrats would tell you this is the most important election in history. The stakes are high. Democracy is at stake. That's what we hear. Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy that ever lived. If that is the case, if the one defense that you're putting up is a guy who's this old, who has lost a step, who doesn't actually admit the most obvious thing that all of us are like, we are creating, as Democrats, the most predictable crisis you can imagine that is completely avoidable. The one thing they can do when we say, well, what can they do? They can accept reality and run somebody else. Well, it, I, I don't think that acceptance is coming anytime soon, right? Well, yeah. but what he's, he's right that more and more people are saying it. The truth is that... The Democratic consultant class, Democratic experts, don't believe they have a Democratic Party brand problem. You look at all the special elections over the last two years, they think they have a Joe Biden brand problem. They do think there is a non-MAGA majority in this country. Mm. Oh, they may be right about that. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Excellent reporting, as always. We appreciate it. Uh, It is President's Day, where we honor Washington and Lincoln. In D.C., if you are looking at the White House, off to your right is the Lincoln Memorial. You drop by there and give thanks for the republic that he saved. You look down the mall, and you can just see it uh, off in the distance from the White House, the Washington Monument. And you think about the republic he, Washington, created. It's no surprise that Lincoln and Washington sit on the top ten list of presidents, as determined by the Presidential Greatness Project. It comes from the President's and Executive Politics section of the American Political Science Association. There's a bang-up convention if you've never been. Describes itself as the foremost organization of social science experts in presidential politics. They rank Lincoln first, followed by FDR, then Washington, Obama seventh, LBG ninth, Biden 14th, and Trump dead last. Bill O'Reilly knows a thing or two about the presidents. He's written bestsellers about Reagan, Kennedy, Lincoln, and Trump. New book, Confronting the Presidents, is out in September. Bill, it is always good to see you. I thought you were the perfect guest um, for this segment. I, we'll get to Trump in a minute. I thought when you rank FDR second, LBJ ninth, Obama seventh, that says you're, you care a lot more about the liberal policies they institute than you do about the men and what they accomplished. Sure. I mean, this is a liberal uh, organization, and they have ranked... Um, the presidents in an ideological way. So confronting the presidents, my book that'll be out in September, basically is very simple, because I'm a simple man, Leland, as you well know. Who hurt the country? Who helped the country? And then we weigh one against the other 
to come up with judgments about whether they were effective or not. We do not rank the presidents, although we say that Lincoln was the greatest president because he had the most to overcome following perhaps the worst president, James Buchanan, who allowed the South to get completely out of control in four years, did absolutely nothing to stem that rebellion. And when Lincoln walks in, it was a fait accompli, it was going to be a war. But otherwise, uh, we did a lot of primary source uh, reporting here, and we are not emotional in any way at all. Hmm. So when you read the book, you're going to get just the facts. All right. Well, we'll have to wait till September. There'll be more time for us to talk about about that uh, between then and now. I think about this list as it is. Um, Biden 14th on ideology, I guess you would say. Where would you fairly rank Donald Trump? You can't rank him yet and you can't rank Biden yet because uh, we have to have a little bit more distance Uh, A fair historian has to see um, uh, how their policies play out in a longer term. Now, Joe Biden has been a terrible president as far as the American people are concerned. All right. Working people in this country are getting hammered. The border is embarrassing and destructive. The Afghanistan thing was one of the worst foreign policy expositions in the history of this country and overseas now is exploding everywhere. To say he's the 14th best president disqualifies that entire operation from any kind yeah. of serious debate. It no, look, I, I looked at, I, I looked, he's, you know, Ray, Reagan who won the Cold War and brought amazing prosperity to America, unquestionably, number 16. George W. Bush, uh, George H.W. Bush, number 19. Carter, 22nd. Uh, George W. Bush, 30 seconds. So the, the ideology thing um, is alive. When you look at this list, and, I, and since you've studied the presidents, uh, both Kennedy and Reagan, from different perspectives, um, what is it, if there's a common theme that you've found, that makes a truly great president? Putting the folks above politics. And that's very rare. It's very rare that these 45 men would do that. So Teddy Roosevelt was one who did. Um, Most of them were captives of their party. And when the party came in and said, you do this, you did it. Some of them made horrendous mistakes like Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson's waging of the Vietnam War what disqualifies him from any high position. That was an abomination. And he was the commander-in-chief and responsible for that. So it's putting the folks, trying to help regular Americans improve their lives and have a pathway to the pursuit of happiness. But most presidents did not do that. They wanted the power. They yeah. loved their position and the folks be damned in many cases. Um, and you can see it, again, there's no ideology in, in my book uh, confronting the presidents at all. So we, I'll give you a couple of examples. Thomas Jefferson was an okay president, but a nasty son of a gun. Nasty. All right? 
George Washington's mother didn't like him. Washington didn't go to her funeral. All of these things weighed upon the chief executives. And nobody knows about it. Nobody has any idea about it because history is so poorly taught in public schools. It's why it's why we have you on for tidbits like that. Fascinating. I I I heard things let like me, that. Let me get Jefferson. the Trump. Did, uh, finish up Trump. with Trump, and then we got to run. Okay. So Donald Trump was a fairly successful president as far as policy was concerned, but January sixth obliterated his presidency. My line in when we write about Trump is January 6th is Trump's Lewinsky. Hmm. Okay. And the historians that are looking at him cannot get by that. And so he descends. But I'll tell you what, for a civilian, a businessman to come in and run the country the way he did it was impressive. The problem Hmm. is that he couldn't control himself at the end. Hmm. Well, and, and we'll, we'll see if he gets a second act. Uh, Fannie Willis, the prosecutor in Georgia, may have something to do with that. Uh, I legitimately only have 30 seconds, but I wanted to get your thought because all my friends were talking about this weekend with Fannie Willis sure. in Georgia. Uh, does she get disqualified? She's got to, she's got to go. This is, this is a colossal embarrassment to Fulton County and the state of Georgia. If she stays, um, all of the convictions, should she get them, will be overturned. I mean, it is just unbelievable that you could have a grifter like this prosecuting 19 Americans. Bill, you know know what this is like. I've got I've now had three producers in my ear saying we got to go. So uh, it's good talking to you as always. They're crazy. They're crazy. You should have me on for the hour. Uh, See you we'll, later. We'll take, it, we'll, we'll take it up after the hour. Coming up next, uh, we will talk a little bit more about Fannie Willis and her time on the stand. Plus, microdosing moms, how mushrooms become mother's little helper for a new generation. Will they replace a glass of wine and all those other promised cures? One year after the East Palestine disaster, a community still in need of answers. We're being lied to, and I don't know why for sure. And only one network has committed to staying on the story from day one. News Nation's not going anywhere. News Nation, the first to report from America's backyards. These are real stories. Everybody is angry. And staying when all other networks leave. Thanks to News Nation for being the only national network committed. That's what it means to be news for all America. To find News Nation, go to joinnn.com. Crypto Fits, crypto breaking news. Brought to you by ReadingBitcoinCenter.com as we dive into some crypto lingo. Cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies are a digital, encrypted, and decentralized medium of exchange implemented on a blockchain. They're created using cryptographic techniques that enable people to buy, sell, or trade them securely. It can be used to buy regular goods and services, although some people invest in cryptocurrencies as they would in other assets like stocks or precious metals. Because of 
all the hype in the news, there are few people who have not heard of cryptocurrency, but even fewer understand it. It's a relatively new type of money that operates differently than traditional currency. Primarily, cryptocurrency is virtual currency. There are no coins to carry around in your pocket. However, when was the last time you carried coins in your pocket? And when was the last time you used physical money to buy something? So are we not already using virtual currency? Follow the latest in crypto and NFT news at CryptoFits.io. Getting tested is the only way to know if you have HIV, an infection that can lead to AIDS. I am Dr. Griffin Rogers, Director of the National Institute of Diabetes, Digestive, and Kidney Diseases at NIH. When you know your HIV status, you can take care of yourself and your partner. My colleague, Dr. Anthony Fauci, former Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH, explains. One in six people in the United States infected with HIV does not know it. You should get tested at least once and more often if you have had sex with someone who is HIV positive, injected drugs or shared needles, exchanged sex for drugs or money, or been diagnosed or treated for hepatitis, tuberculosis, or a sexually transmitted infection like syphilis. Testing for HIV is simple. Talk to your doctor or visit AIDS.gov. For more information, follow us at NIDDKGov. This is Dr. Griffin Rogers. You're listening to News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network, covering a full range of perspectives from across the country. Well, it's going to be one of those days. How often have you said that to yourself? Your mind has a tremendous ability to make predictions come true. Dr. Gary Probst with a thought about the power of the mind in a moment. If you've got a property that you've been trying to sell and you've tried almost everything, I want to tell you about something that you haven't tried yet. Thousands of customers have sold their homes in any condition with need to sell my home. Did you know it's possible to sell your home right over the phone with no real estate commissions and no pesky open houses? 800-431-9667. That's 800-431-9667. 431-9667. An airline flight attendant taught me that worry causes bad things to happen. While holding a hot cup of coffee in a bumpy flight, I was spilling it all over the tray and on my hand. She told me to put the cup down on the tray and let it ride with the flight. And it worked. Our minds are like that. If we expect bad things to happen, they will. If we expect a good day, our chances are much better for having one. We already have the neural connections in our brain that will take a negative thought and run away with it. So when you bump your big toe in the bedpost and say, "Uh, it's going to be one of those days, your mind will find opportunities to reinforce that thought. And the opposite is also true. If you wake up and tell yourself it's going to be a good day in spite of any issues you're dealing with, it will likely be better. So expect the best and have a good day. DA that won't have sex with his employees because they deserve a DA that won't put money in their own pocket. It's Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, Fannie Willis, in 2020 during her campaign. That clip did not age well. It seems increasingly clear that Willis did both. A judge in Georgia could remove her from the 2020 election interference case against Trump and his co-defendant, Shen Del Summer, is here, former assistant public defender in Fulton County and expert uh, in this part of the law and divorce court. I think, you know, this is the part that's confusing to so many people because it, it appears so clear there was prosecutorial misconduct. There was an affair with a subordinate, which you're not supposed to do. There was 
taking money and gifts in, in some form and taking favor from someone who is doing business with the county and not disclosing it, uh, either illegal or certainly unethical and against uh, the financial disclosures that Fannie Willis uh, provided. It would appear as though Nathan Wade, who was also a prosecutor, lied on his interrogatories uh, about his divorce and was less than truthful or at least played very, very cute. All things that are, are real appearances of impropriety, if not illegal. How, what is the difference between the law of disqualifying a prosecutor that this judge is going to have to figure out and the, the sort of standard that all of us feel that prosecutors should be held to? Well, it is a question of whether there's an actual conflict of interest or the appearance of one. So it's a very low bar for the judge to disqualify the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. And there's certainly grounds for it. She has embarrassed the office. Um, and that clip that just surfaced is uh, really very timely. Um, she beat her opponent for the job of district attorney um, trying by exposing his improprieties. And so now she's doing the same thing. It really is an embarrassment to the state of Georgia. And I think that it's going she's to for be. Re- yeah, she's she running for, for re-election. re-election. Yeah. Does she, does she have any challengers right now? I have not heard of any challengers, but qualifying is in March and the election is in May. It's a nonpartisan election. And generally, those offices always have someone. It may be sort of an also ran, but there's generally Hmm. uh, competition for those jobs in Fulton County. Yeah, it just seems as though it makes it so hard to prosecute any case when when these issues are there. This has not gotten a lot of coverage. Obviously, all the details of her affair and, and, and on and on did. Closing arguments this week, a decision in the next couple of weeks from the judge about this. But it, it throws everything into disarray for the Trump case. But this this part of her testimony, when she was talking about how she got cash, the cash that she allegedly used to pay her boyfriend back, uh, I think raised some pretty serious questions, not just about her conduct with the affair, but about some other possible crimes. Take a listen. It's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Yeah. Of my was- first campaign. Who would, the, who would I, I hate to ask it this way, but who prosecutes the prosecutor in Georgia? Who looks into this, what would be certainly a very serious crime? Uh, well, a special prosecutor could be appointed to prosecute another prosecutor. And in this case, it's a very interesting um hierarchy of uh, judgment on that issue, because if if she's disqualified, it will go to Pete Scandalakis, who's a former district attorney and very connected in Georgia politics for many generations. And he's the one who's been tasked with determining whether to prosecute Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. And he's some people say he's dragging his feet on that, that he hasn't done anything with it. And so this case could really die on the vine. If if it's wow. if she's disqualified and it goes to the prosecuting attorney's counsel, they could sit on it. They could say they can't find anybody for months and months and months, and then the election could come you, and it may be a moot point. Yeah, we got to run, but you have been fantastic. Um, Thank you. Throughout this whole thing, from the very beginning when this broke, uh, we're going to keep having you back to talk about it as, as as the developments come on. It's all any all all my friends wanted to talk about this weekend. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Uh, During this weekend, there was the NBA All-Star Game. You might have seen it, or maybe not. Charles Barkley said you need a bulletproof vest to walk around San Francisco. And his fellow broadcasters, well, they 
they kind of melted down by that comment. To be fair, the ending score was 186 to 211. So the broadcasters needed something other than the game to talk about. And the conversation turned to the location of the game, Indianapolis. Hey, 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 Reggie. Yes? If you had a if you had a chance of being cold or being around a bunch of homeless crooks in San Francisco, when you... Oh, oh that's oh, crazy. No. You're not welcome. Hey, not hey, you're not welcome. Hey, hey. We love San Francisco. No, we don't. Yes, we do. You can't even walk around down yes, there. Yes, you can walk around. Yeah, with a bulletproof bag. Hey. Who loves San Francisco these days? Since facts matter on this program, Indianapolis and San Francisco have similar populations, but far more people get murdered in Indianapolis than in San Francisco. Those are just the facts. But it's not necessarily just about the facts. As Charles Barkley pointed out, it's about how people feel. More Americans than ever see crime as extremely or very serious as a problem in America. 63% now, 54% in 2021. The previous highs were 2000, 2010, and 2016. The growing anger among African Americans over crime is one of the reasons they're abandoning President Biden and Democrats in general. When compared to 2020, President Biden has lost 16% of the black vote. It's one of the many issues where Democrats support things demanded by the limousine liberals, but crush ordinary Americans. Electric vehicles to save the planet. Canceling student loans because it sounds good. Defund the police because the police are racist. As Charles Barkley has proven, it's not racist to want to feel safe. Next, forget that glass of wine, even a Valium. Microdosing mamas are coming to your carpool lane. Could magic mushrooms become the new mother's little helper? Relaxer and Coke eases the tension that so often causes the pain. Many pills are sold for everybody's headaches, but Coke is for women. Hmm. Sounds pretty nice right about now, huh? For more than a century, we've been trying to find, call it mother's little helper, right? From amphetamines to cocaine to opiates to barbiturates, Valium, all the stuff that makes you feel good. Now, psychedelics, magic mushrooms, if you will, can help mothers Just get through the day. Call it a life hack. One mother and marketing exec in Los Angeles told the Wall Street Journal, I work hundreds of hours a week and it helps my performance. It allows me to be my best self. Dr. Greg Fonzo, psychologist who works with patients using mushrooms, Tracy T, mother of one, is here with us as well. Fair to say, uh, Tracy, what would you call it, an enthusiast of, of this? I would fare, yeah, I'd say I'm an enthusiast, absolutely. Okay, so what's it like? Uh, well, you know what? I think it's actually the opposite of Mommy's Little Helper. Um, microdosing is actually brings me into more presence, and I am not numbing out. It is an expander in terms of how I am able to live my life, and it isn't uh, band-aiding anything that I want to avoid. So I love it when people kind of equate moms who microdose as, oh, it's mommy's next little helper. Um, In some ways, it is a helper, but it's not in anything, in any energy like anything in the past. It's not like Valium. It's not like booze. It's not like cocaine. Um, I find myself to be like more present, uh, less overwhelmed, and more like myself. 
All right, so Greg, I saw Tracy's, uh, what we call a lower third, the, the graphic that says she is, uh, founder of Moms on Mushrooms. Are there a lot of moms on mushrooms that you found? Uh, it's becoming more and more common nowadays, yes. All right, so how is this different? And I mean, I, I, I take Tracy's point, but you know, there was a time that amphetamines were, was mom's little helper, then, then there was opiates, then there was barbiturates. I mean, at some point, isn't, isn't all of these drugs just one version or another of altering your reality? Um, yes. So the, uh, I think all those drugs would be considered what you call psychoactive. Uh, so they would alter one state of consciousness. Um, psychedelics in particular and psilocybin, which is the compound that's in uh, magic mushrooms, um, is undergoing a lot of investigation now uh, in clinical studies for its potential to be a, a mental health uh, treatment, uh, particularly for various conditions like depression, um, anxiety and, uh, and addictions as well. Um, whether or not um, it can be used as a, uh, a general tool for improvement of well-being is, is an open question, though. All right. So, Tracy, uh, to be fair to the FDA, they have not approved a drug product containing psychosilbin. Uh, therefore, the effectiveness and safety of psychosilbin as a drug has not been evaluated by the FDA for any therapeutic indication. I'm guessing you would take issue with that. Um, I think it's I think it's unfortunate that that's the stance of the FDA. Um, I think that we can listen to tens, hundreds of thousands of people who have been working with this medicine um, and listen to their stories and listen to the anecdotal results. And we know that the studies that have been done about psilocybin show that it's low in toxicity, lower than alcohol, cocaine, heroin. Look, I mean, you know, they're, they're, for a long time, there was marijuana that people were saying, you know, had all these wonderful uh, effects on people and was was very low in, in terms of danger. And the FDA said the same things. Now, obviously, there's medical marijuana and everything else. Take us through a day uh, of using of using this of microdosing. Yeah, well, first, I just want to point out that microdosing, you're not high. So we're not talking about moms running around to car line and to playgrounds, uh, seeing rainbows and unicorns. It's actually quite the opposite. We're taking low doses of psilocybin um, that are allowing us to potentially, because yes, there is not any longitudinal studies out yet about microdosing, but kind of reap the benefits of what a large dose journey journey does on a lower in a lower amount that isn't um, altering your mind, no hallucinogenic effects. So um, a typical day for me is I when I choose to microdose, which is not every day and you never want to microdose every day. Um, I take 50 milligrams, which is a very, very small amount. I take it in the morning and throughout the day, I just find that I'm able to kind of tap into more presence, less overwhelm, less anxiety, more compassion, yeah. all the things that every mom wants to offer a family. All right. Fair enough. Um, Doc, luxury experience in Vancouver, $15,000 for four nights. Retreat in Denver, $8,100, four nights in coaching. 10-hour music-based psychedelic experience, $1,000. At some level, and I, I, I take the point that, you know, there's all sorts of folks on all sorts of different medications. Um, is there really any, any difference in any of these things? And I, I, I look at it, and I'm sure there's a lot of people at home going, gee, sounds wonderful, but... Uh, Prozac is 10 cents on insurance, and we're talking $15,000 for four nights. Where's the 
the delta in that come in? There are uh, differences in regards to the way the drugs work. Um, I think what you're getting at, though, is do for does, for example, microdosing psilocybin have a benefit that would be superior, let's say, to something that's cheaper like Prozac. Um, and really, the research is is out at the moment. So we don't have a lot of good studies, particularly with microdosing. Uh, most of the work that's been done has been looking at high doses um, where people have a strong hallucinogenic experience. Uh, and those studies do show that there may be, in fact, be some benefit uh, for folks with um, particular conditions. But I think we really do need to do some more research on uh, very low dosing or microdosing, uh, as it's called, in order to understand like what kind of effects it does have on one's mood, one's ability to concentrate and focus, productivity, um, a lot of these things that we still don't really have good answers on. Can I just say, though, in terms of cost, um, those costs of those retreats that you just um, showed... Yeah. Uh, that is an exorbitant amount of money. And yeah. I think as we start to lean into these modalities as actual therapies and take them seriously, my hope is that those prices go way down and they become less novel and more of something that is a useful part of someone's mental health healing. You guys are on the cutting edge of this. It's fun to talk about. Interesting. Um, and Tracy, appreciate you sort of taking us through that. Uh, not everybody's willing to talk as openly about this stuff. Thank you. We'll talk to you both soon. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. The Biden administration waves the white flag on making us all drive electric cars. Why the climate change agenda just got derailed. Resident car dealer Tom Maoli over a year ago predicting the demise of electric vehicles. We may not be there yet. But it turns out the climate change agenda is falling apart. President Biden appears to have given up on making us all drive electric cars. The New York Times reports the White House will quietly roll back all the mandates for switching till after 2030. That's after the next election. And big banks are pulling out of climate-backed investing goals. We've come a long way since President Biden took a spin in the all-electric F-150 Lightning. Turns out wealthy urbanites loved buying EVs because of the tax credits. But now that those tax credits come with income caps, normal folks don't want them, even with massive subsidies. Bachangar Sargon, opinion editor for Newsweek, is with us now. I feel like this is one of those black swans, right, where it's completely predictable that people who live in rural America wouldn't want EVs and somehow nobody either figured that out or cared. It's just another example of the hubris of the ruling class and their utter, utter inefficiency. Um, They want to have this oligarchy of the credentialed where the smart set tells everybody what they're supposed to want and what they're supposed to buy. And they forget crucial things like if you live in rural America, you need a lot more energy to get your car from one place to another because you're not driving in Brooklyn 12 blocks, 15 blocks, you're driving for an hour and a half to get to work. And guess what? You're going to have to stop and gas up that electric car with with electricity and sit there and wait for an hour. I mean, working people don't have that kind of time. It's just so ridiculous that nobody thought about the lifestyle of the people who buy cars, that maybe this is not actually going to work for them. 
Yeah, I think about rural Americans, right, uh, despite the billions spent on charging stations that, that don't necessarily work or exist right now. But uh, rural and, and working class Americans more likely to drive on vacation, more likely to drive longer distances, more likely to drive in rural areas. You talk about the ruling class. Rasmussen defined it as the elite, right? Making over $150,000 a year postgraduate degree uh, and living in an urban area. Ban gas-powered cars uh, is favorable with 24% of voters, but 81% of elite Ivy League graduates. Is, is that really now the divide in America? And I guess what I'm trying to say is, if, how did climate change become the cause du jour of you want to call it ruling class elite Americans? Because it's the kind of thing that you have time to worry about when all of your primary needs are being met, when you don't have to worry about rent and you don't have to worry about feeding your kids and you don't have to worry about keeping a roof over your head or whether you're going to have a job tomorrow or whether you're going to be able to afford to go to the doctor, you have time left over. So what are you going to worry about? You worry about climate change. And it's the perfect elite luxury belief because not only does it make you feel like you are better than everybody else because you care about this thing and they don't, but actually all of the remedies are class warfare on the working class that actually elevates the elites, right? So they fly around on their private jets, but then they want people not to be able to drive their cars, but they can afford a Tesla. So they'll get this expensive car and be like, look at me, I'm both virtuous and rich, right? It's the perfect status symbol because they get to feel better about themselves for having it. And California, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about how to be fair about this, because you, you make great points, right? But at the same time, we can all agree the climate's changing. Okay, fine. And we can probably all agree that there's things we can do to mitigate that, may not be able to reverse it, may not be able to actually stop it, but certainly mitigate the effects. And yet this, this sort of the elite work, ruling class of America and worldwide has absolutely no interest in any of the practical things that could be done that would help the working class. They want to ban gas stoves. Right. That's exactly right. They always want someone else to make the sacrifice and the sacrifices they're willing to make are all extremely tied to their vanity. Like, oh, maybe they'll be vegetarian. Right. Because they're all like obsessed with the way they look and being thin and healthy. Right. It always fits into whatever they are already doing Mm -hmm. to stroke their egos. And if you I just want what I was going to say before is if you look at California, the highest cost of energy, but also the highest percentage of Americans who are living in energy poverty, they're spending more than 25 percent of their income just on keeping the lights on in their houses and they're being driven from the coast in the land so that they have to drive further to get to work because they can't afford energy and they can't afford rent where all of these rich elites coastal mm-hmm. elites are living well and then it makes it cheaper i guess or there's there's more there's more places for those who serve the elites to live once everybody else <laughs> lives leaves uh Bacha, thank you very much it's good to see you as always thanks zealand Next, what you said was the most important story of the weekend, how the love life of a Georgia prosecutor shows us what's wrong with America. I hope you had a great long weekend if you were like me. All your friends talked about this weekend was the Fawny Willis scandal. That was the case on social media. Gawky Girl replied to our Instagram reel about Fawny Willis saying, nothing to do about race. Get the chip off your shoulder. This has to do with corruption. Someone else on Instagram noted, Donald Trump faces jail time for paying off his lover, Stormy Daniels, and he used a check. Only makes sense that cash payments get looked at. You're right. It has nothing to do with race. 
El Merritt won on Twitter. I watched a rerun of your show tonight for the first time, and I was appalled. My jaw dropped about how judgmental you were about the Fawnie Willis hearing. Totally spun the facts on the topic you were covering. Totally biased and one-sided. Totally Fox territory. Perhaps, El Merritt, you don't watch Fox News that much. And if we got any of the facts wrong, please let us know. We would love to correct it. We don't judge left or right red or blue. And since this is your first time watching the show, you may not know that, but we take a very strong stand on right versus wrong. Paying your boyfriend $655,000 of taxpayer money and then not disclosing it, perhaps lying about it, is wrong. It's that simple. Vister124 replied on Instagram, Fanny is a female Trump on the witness stand, basic witness stand protocol. Keep your composure. Prosecutors and presidents aren't used to being questioned. Maybe it should happen more often with current presidents and post-presidents. Anna Haggett replied to the same reel. Fanny did nothing wrong. I found her credible. I found her dad, sir, found her super dad credible. Maybe nothing wrong legally, although her financial disclosure forms present some real problems. Morally, though, there's some serious questions in there about Fannie Willis, and that's the biggest issue. Prosecutors should be held to a higher standard in America. Barb replied to Thursday's war notes, Mr. Vittard, I'm glad Mike Turner made the announcement about our national security. It shouldn't be a secret. I think you're naive to think it's an exaggeration, and you are underestimating the power of such an attack. Thank you. Well, Barb, we appreciate you watching, reading, and replying. Mike Turner put his own judgment ahead of other Republicans with the same information and others in the intelligence community. That's not the job of the chairman of the House Intel Committee. And I fully understand the power of a Russian nuclear space weapon. That's why our intel and defense community should be able to deal with it without the Russians knowing we had that capability. Now they do. Angela replied to Wednesday's war notes. My husband and I watch your show every night. Most of the time we agree. I do take issue with your idea that it was a waste of time to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. We're a land of laws. Cabinet members, too, must follow the laws that are in place until new laws are implemented. Mayorkas didn't do that. Well, Angela, I'm glad you don't always agree with us. That's what makes this show different, and really different than everything on cable. It is not a safe space for anybody. Sonia Kennedy on Instagram. You're the reason I started to watch News Nation from the start, the best journalist. Thanks, Sonia. It's nice to know that my mother can watch at home and know that I'm not, well, messing around too much. Thanks for your trust in us every night. Make sure you tell your friends about News Nation. We're grateful for you. Here's Chris. I'm Chris Cuomo. So here's the question. Is the war really getting worse in Ukraine or is this another way to get the funding bill done for Ukraine? We can answer that. We have military experts and we have a Marine Corps vet who knows the situation firsthand, not just because he was defending us in Iraq and Afghanistan, but because he's been on the front lines in Ukraine 11 times since the war began. You want to know